Well, good morning and welcome. I'm glad that you're here with us. This morning, we are going to talk about 1 Peter 2. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, that will be our text for today. And while you're turning there, uh, I want to ask a question. Um, The question is, what is your life built on? What is your life built on? And you are at church on a July 4th weekend, so you probably have the right answer tucked somewhere away um, of Jesus, right? You probably know that you're in church. That's probably going to be the right answer at some level. Um, But what is your life built on? Because if we're honest, we probably have some ways, some corners, some areas that it it may not be built on Christ. I want to talk this morning about uh, something called the Millennium Towers. The Millennium Towers is in downtown San Francisco, and it's a mostly residential um, building. It's a skyscraper. It's 645 feet tall. It's 58 stories, and it costs $350 million. And it was completed within the last 15 years. And pretty much right away, they realized that the foundation was crumbling. Um, in some way, they didn't know if it was bad foundation to begin with. They didn't know if it was because they were doing construction nearby, and they were using a method that kind of took the, the, the liquid out of the soil, the water out of the soil, and it caused the northwest corner to sink. So they think that it was sinking about uh, 8 to 10 inches, and when they went in to work on it more and drive more pillars down to the bedrock, which they think are about 250 feet down, um, they caused it to sink 10 more inches. Um, And they said that the the, the top of the building, it's 645 feet tall, so even a slight angle will change it uh, quite a bit. In 2021, it was leaning 26 inches, a little over 2 feet. Um, and they said that up to 40 inches is where uh, the plumbing and the elevators will continue to work. So they've got uh, a couple, bit, couple of years left because it moves three inches a year, and they're trying to figure out what's going on and how to fix it. It's costing millions and millions of dollars, and uh, in a city that uh, housing is so scarce and hard to find, uh, they have this skyscraper, uh, 58 stories, um, 645 feet tall, and they don't know what to do with it because it's starting to lean. And they, they said that it, it looks okay if you kind of look at the building by itself, but if you step back and view it in light of the rest of the skyscrapers, that you can see that it's slightly tilted, that two feet. And I think sometimes our lives are similar to that. They look good up close to it. You might be next to some glass. You might be next to the concrete. You might be next to the building. And you're like, okay, my life looks pretty good. My life doesn't look too bad. But if you were to go in the basement, if you were to go and look at it from afar and see that it's a little bit messed up, you would see that, okay, my life may not be built on something super strong. My life might be built on something that's a little bit making it look a little off. And honestly, there there are probably people in this room, there are probably people uh, here that your life looks really good. It's a skyscraper. It's awesome. No one would guess that it's messed up from the outside, but if you were to dig down deep, you would see how messed up it can be. So what is your life built on? It might not be that concrete that the Millennium Towers is built on, but what if it's your ability? You can scrape by because you're good at something, and maybe that's the thing that you do to make money. You're, you're good with a certain thing, and that's what you do to get by with money. And you've always been able to do whatever you need to do with, because of that ability. And maybe because it makes you money and because you're good at it, you have a lot of money. So because you have a lot of money, that's what you build your life on. Maybe it's your physical appearance. Maybe you take pride in that. And that's not a bad thing to take pride in. None of these things are bad things to have or take some pride in. But if that's what you're building your life on, it's going to leave you at some point. 
The first service, I said attractiveness, and there were some cackles and laughs. Um, is, your, is your life built on having the right family name? Is, do you have the right last name that when you say it, you expect people to go, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know, and kind of give you your way? Is that kind of the foundation of your life? Or are you just trusting that you're just doing the right thing as best you know how, and that's the foundation of your life? And you expect everything to be square, upright, good to go, last forever because it's upright. You're doing everything you can. Maybe you're just banking on you being a good person and that is what your life's built on. Well, in 1 Peter, Peter is writing a book, not in correction, but in encouragement. And you see Paul write a lot of letters like 1 and 2 Corinthians where he's telling people, hey, you're walking this way. You need to correct and walk back this way. This is the way to live, not this way. And that's not necessarily what's happening in Peter. What's happening in Peter is that these are people that are believers. He sent this same letter to five churches across Asia Minor in Rome that they would have understood like they are believers, but they are living in a culture that does not respect and honor their Christianity. They, they would have been, uh, a lot of commentaries called this strangers in a foreign land. They were not at home where they were because of their Christianity. And they would have been people that looked at their Christianity, they would, they would have looked at what God said to live like, and then they looked at how things were going on the outside, and, and, and it just didn't seem like it was lining up. Why are we being, tr- being treated this way when God says to do it this way? And they're were, they were dealing with persecution, but I think we deal with these things today where we look at what culture says is right, and then we look at what the Bible says, and we go, okay, these don't match up. Which one do I do? These don't match up. I'm doing this, and it seems like I'm just being hurt because I'm doing what the Bible says is right. So what Peter is doing in 1 Peter is he's giving them the halftime message. He's giving them the halftime talk. He's not coming in saying, hey, we're rewriting the playbook. You need to learn a bunch of new plays. We're going to rerun the defense. He's saying, hey, I want you to remember who you are, and it's an identity conversation. So in 1 Peter 1, he talks about this is, don't forget Jesus. Like, don't forget this, this hope that you have in him, this foundation that you have in him. And then later in 1 Peter 1, he talks about how they need to, to build their lives on living holy, living up to this calling that he has for them. So in 1 Peter 2, we step into him finishing this conversation on reminding them of their identity. In verses 1 through 3, he says, hey, don't live the old way, walk in this new way. So what he talks about and what we're going to talk about today are really five things. The first one is a place to belong. The second one is a purpose to hold. And then he talks about three Old Testament prophecies, references that honestly for the longest time I just liked to skip over because they didn't make any sense to me. And they still partially don't make any sense to me, but I I think we can make some sense of them together. So I want you to read uh, starting in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone... Rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be holy, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined 
to do. So I want to start in verse 4. There's, there's quite a bit there that can be confusing. So I want to start in verse 4. It says, as you come to him, and then you remember diagramming sentences as a kid in grammar school and elementary school? So as you talk about him, it has some commas, and it talks about who he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus, and it says, as you come to him, who is him? Him is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And, and those are some of the pieces that he talks about in the Old Testament references in verses 7 and 8. That's who he's talking about. So as we come to him, look at verse 5. It says, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. That's the first thing that we see. It gives us a place to belong. Living stones being built up into a spiritual house. And he talks about a spiritual house. What, what's the importance of that? That um, I, I don't know what your upbringing was of like what, what a home meant to you, but I, I think my parents made an awesome environment for us to learn and grow and to be together and for that to shape us and for us to rest and for us to heal and for them to raise us, to replenish, to have words of encouragement and words of wisdom. And that may not have been your upbringing, but I think about like my, my group of friends as a kid, and, and this kind of happened at several houses that I can think of, that my, my friends would come in the door and my mom would kind of take, she'd had a, she, she didn't keep a clicker, but she just about could have. She'd run down the stairs and she'd count how many heads she'd see, and she'd make brownies for that many people. And I, I can just remember, there was one time, my, my parents have a split-level home, so when you walk in, there's a landing, and you either go downstairs where we would always hang out, or upstairs. And I remember one time my friend Josh had been away for a while, and he came in, he waved to us in the basement, and he went upstairs to go say hi to my parents. I can think of a time that my friend Alice was there and my mom just made a, made a meal. It wasn't anything special for us, but my mom made a meal and he sat there and he said, I can't remember the last time I had a home-cooked meal. For you, it might be a smell, it might be a sense of warm, welcoming environment, but for what God is giving us and what he's building us into, what we get to not just visit into, but we get to be a part of, is that God makes that warm, welcoming, kind, restful, peaceful, joy-filled environment us. And there's a layer of that that's like, how, how does he make us that? He just does. He makes us into this environment. He makes us into a spiritual home, a spiritual house, so that when people that are outside that are used to not something that is warm and welcoming and joy-filled and peace-filled and kind, they walk in and they go, this feels different. This feels warm, this feels comforting, this feels like an environment that I know and that I love. And that's what he's building us into. Does your life look different where people might encounter it and go, okay, this home that you're building, whether you live in an apartment with roommates or you, you're a grandparent that gets to build that for your, your grandkids or you get to do that for your kids, is the home, is the environment, is, is what you are building in your life resemble what he's saying here, a spiritual house. Spiritual house. And he uses the term like living stones being built up. And Jesus called himself the living stone. And he said, you are like living stones. What does that mean? That we know that a house has its issues. We know that a house, once the roof starts to go, the whole thing starts to go. If it has foundation issues, wood can rot, you can get termites. You can, the, the number of problems you can have in a home is unending. But what he's saying here is that living stones are living and breathing. They're continuing to grow. They are not dead. This is not a house that is getting worse over time. This is a house that's getting better over time. And as a person who is not perfect, this is encouraging to me. 
that he is doing the building. It says that he builds us up as living stones into a spiritual house. He gives us this place that we can belong, that maybe we were outsiders, maybe we were spiritually homeless, maybe we're politically homeless, maybe there's just things that don't match up. Peter is telling these people, hey, he's building us up into, and he says A, and I think that's so interesting because he doesn't say, hey, you get your own spiritual house, and you and your crew get a spiritual house, and you and the Baptists get to come over here, and the Presbyterians get to come over here, and the, he says, I'm building a spiritual house. That means that all believers that profess Christ as their king, that profess that he's God alone, that there's one way to heaven and it's Jesus, that he died on the cross for our debt, he's building a house in them. That we, we don't build a house on our own, that there's a sense of community, there's a sense of togetherness that he does as we do this. And the second thing that he says is he, he does this to be a, royal, or a holy priesthood. And they would have understood a, 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 a priesthood as a, a a tribe. If you were the tribe of Levi, you got to be a priest. It was, you either are or you aren't. And he's speaking to people who are probably Jew and Gentile all, all over the map, and he's saying, hey, you are to be a priesthood. Anyone. And this would have shattered their understanding of what a priesthood was. And priests have two primary roles. The first one is to bring people to God and bring God to people. And the second one is to serve people. To bring the people to God and bring God to the people. Think about what that looked like, that they would have a temple and that you would bring your sacrifices to atone your sin and you would bring them to the temple and the priest would take that, take it to God, say, you're atoned, we're good to go, and you would go. But he's saying you all have this role as a, ro- as a holy priest. And again, it's communal, it's priesthood. He didn't say, I'm making you into a priest. He said, I'm making you all into a priesthood. There's such a communal aspect to this that shatters our ideas of like, okay, this is my personal relationship with Christ. You have your personal relationship with Christ and you get out of mine. It's, you're being built into a house. You're being built into a royal priest, a holy priesthood together. Um, And I think about what it looks like to, to do that. How does an individual, how do we start to bring people to God? Does it mean you just show them, you bring them to church and you go, Listen, like, what, what does that look like? And, and, and it goes back to one of my favorite verses that's a couple of verses down in verse 9, where he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And this is my favorite. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness and into marvelous light. The first thing you have to note there is he brought us out of darkness and into marvelous light. If you are here and you're not following Christ, that is readily and available for you. It says several places in the Bible, anyone and everyone can have this relationship with God. That all you have to do is acknowledge that you're in the dark and ask God to save you. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That means he's the decision maker, he's in charge, he's everything to you. And you're gonna do your best to follow him but he saves your soul in those moments and he takes you out of darkness and into marvelous light. That's what he did for us. We have to acknowledge that first and then it says to proclaim the excellencies of him who did it. You know what that means? To tell, to proclaim the goodness, the excellencies of him, of God. Tell the goodness of God. Man, I have been so encouraged. Even this morning, in the first service, going around and talking to people, 
My wife and I are adopting right now, and I met two people that I didn't know had adopted their grown adult children that said, hey, you'll get through it. It's a long process. It'll happen. God will provide. And it's such an encouragement to me because they got to proclaim the excellencies of God because they had seen it done. You have things that you've seen God do in your heart and in your life, and we limit what we see God do in our hearts and in our lives because we don't proclaim the excellencies of him. How can you proclaim the excellencies to the people that are around you? What if in your workplace, you just said, man, it's awesome, God, pro- God provided in this cool way. What if in your, with your children, you just showed them, hey, this, this is what God did, awesome. It's not me, it was God, I, I can't explain it. It doesn't have to be, all right, let's start in Genesis and get to Revelation so I can proclaim the excellent. You can just tell what God did for you. It's him who brought you out of darkness and into marvelous light. What if we were defined as a community of people that just said, listen, I, I don't know everything. I'm doing my best to know God. I'm doing my best to know my word. But I know that God brought me out of darkness and he put me into marvelous light. So now my life is going to look like proclaiming to the people around me, telling the goodness of God. God, you, it, it's all you. It's not me. Look at what God did. This is him who did it. And it forces people to live in awe. That we bring people to God and we bring God to people. The second thing is that he serves, a priesthood will serve people. Who does your life serve? Um, I, I love thinking about this because I uh, naturally, this is going to come as a surprise, uh, think about myself first. Um, I know that's a surprise, but I think about myself first. And I want, I woke up this morning thinking about what I was going to eat. I woke up this morning thinking about what I was going to drink. I woke up this morning thinking about how I was going to get to church. I woke up this morning thinking about what I was going to eat for lunch. I will probably, after lunch, think about what I'm going to do uh, to rest. After that, I'll start thinking about what I'm going to do for dinner. It, It is so natural for us to think about ourselves. That's how we're wired. That's how we're ingrained. But as a priesthood, we get to go out and not just show people God, but serve them, help them. And it says, uh, that, it says that we become a holy priesthood, holy, that we're set apart, made by God to be separated for something else. And then it says to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What does that mean, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable through Jesus Christ? Does this mean that we're like working and once we work up a certain amount, we're going to have a good relationship with God? No, we, we are operating out of, a, out of a positive account because Jesus has paid the debt. We're not operating out of, well, if I do enough and I really get things going and I really, man, I start getting some momentum and I'm serving a lot and I'm doing all these things, then God will start to see me favorably. No, it's saying that because of Jesus, our spiritual sacrifices are accepted because we're already seen as, if we're found in him, in a positive way. Accepted and loved by God. Accepted back into the fold because of Jesus. Not because of these things that we get to do. It's saying, as we get to tell people about Jesus, as we get to serve people, God has already taken care of our account. We're in the negative, more than we could ever pay. He didn't just bring us back to neutral. He brought us to a positive place, more than we could ever get to. And now we get to just serve him openly because If we fail, so what? Me and God are good. What if I fail? So we serve God in that way. It's acceptable because Jesus satisfied the Father's wrath on the cross. And lastly, we get to, so that's our our place to belong and our purpose to hold. And lastly, we get to our our three prophecies. They're they're Old Testament references. And um, I'll be honest, I love 1 Peter this is one of those that I just kind of go, yeah, 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 I get it, and then move on. 
Um, it can be difficult to understand, even reading commentaries about it. it it's a simplified version, and, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting to say the least. But in, in verse 6, he says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a cornerstone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And that, that's quoting Isaiah 28, 16. And the main point of that is that he is saying that Jesus has been laid by God the Father as a cornerstone. And whoever chooses it won't be put to shame. So a cornerstone, and there's actually one on this building, a cornerstone is the, is the large piece of a lot of times granite or stone that they would mill, I mean, just perfectly flat and level and square perfectly. And what they would do is that they would set that very first before they set the rest of the foundation and they would run a line and they'd call it a plumb line, if you've heard of that. They'd run a line straight across it and straight the other way to make sure that, okay, this is where we want to start. And if we take it right here, it's going to end right there. So that's going to be the layout of our building. So the cornerstone is going to sit sturdy and steady and heavy and level and square and right and good so that it can be built off of. So what he's arguing for is that Jesus is that square for our lives. Jesus is that level for our lives. Jesus is the thing that will make everything else right. It's not saying that your life will all be easy all the time. He's talking to people that were persecuted, but he's saying Jesus is the thing that you build your life off of and everything will start to add up. He's worth building off of. That a cornerstone is strong and effective, but only as much as you build on it. And I think where we come into conflict with that idea is that a lot of times, especially in Midwest Christianity, we acknowledge that Jesus is the cornerstone. We'll sing a song about it. Well, it'll be great, and we'll we'll acknowledge it. But then we go, okay, Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus, you're good over there on that cornerstone. I'm going to go and build part of my life over here. And I want my thoughts, I want my work life, I want my sexual preferences, I want the way that I treat people, I want my emotions, I want my anger, I want fill in the blank to be over here. And it doesn't take long to understand that if I showed up to a job site where they're starting to lay the foundation and they say, okay, this is where the surveyor has come and they've run these lines and we're going to build right off of this perfect cornerstone. And I said, hey guys, I'm going to start digging over here and pouring some concrete and I'll meet you in the middle. It it wouldn't add up. Nobody in in their right mind would be like, yeah, let's, let's start at two different ends and see how we end up. It just wouldn't work. It wouldn't make sense. But that's how we practically live our lives because we know that Jesus is the cornerstone. But then we go and we live our lives separate from him in another place. And I think we do it all the time. That he says he's a good, chosen, precious. That he was speaking to a people that their housing would have been generational. When mom and dad had a child, that child would be raised. And then when he gets married, he would build onto the house and live there. And... Uh, they probably did something that we don't do is judge people by their homes. We never do that. It doesn't happen in our day and age. You don't judge people by their homes. But um, they would probably see someone who has done a good job of laying a cornerstone and building off of that and gone, man, they have their life figured out. Things are looking good for them. They spent the money early on. They have things figured out. And then you see a, a family whose their, their house, as, they, as, they've, as they've built onto it, it it's, it's not square corner of it starting to fall. It's the Millennium Tower. You can kind of see it shifting as it goes. And they would have understood this as 
Jesus is the most important. He's the chief. He's the key. He's the most important thing that we could ever think or imagine. That the idea of building away from a cornerstone would have been unimaginable to them. I think about Matthew 7, the the story that Jesus shares about the wise man and the fool, one who built his house on the rock, one who built his house on the sand. And in it he says, And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against his house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And the, the, the interesting thing about that is he says, everyone who hears these words has the choice. That we all can hear the words of God and choose to build our life on the cornerstone. Several places in the Bible, it says that anyone and everyone, that if anyone should believe, he can have life with Christ. Anyone and everyone. The, the second Old Testament reference that he makes is in verse 7. So he says, whoever believes in him, at the end of verse 6, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever builds on that cornerstone, they won't be put to shame. So the honor is for those who believe. So that's what we have for those who believe in Christ. And then he kind of shifts and says, so for the second piece of it, but for those who do not believe, and then he has this, the two second Old Testament references. And he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And he's quoting Psalm 118.22. And he's talking of Jesus who was rejected by his people. That Jesus was a Jew and he was expected. They were expecting and hoping for a Messiah. And Jesus was not who they thought would be there. They thought it was going to be a political leader. They thought he was going to lead to revolution. And that just wasn't Jesus' motive. That's not what he did when he got there. So when he got there, there was rejection. There was frustration. And ultimately, they sent Jesus to a cross to be killed. So as he's speaking to a group of people that are being persecuted for doing the right thing, that are being persecuted for following Christ, he's saying, hey, Jesus, the, the, the cornerstone of our faith wasn't accepted. So why do we think we would be accepted? And I think this is one of the most pertinent conversations to 2022 that we can have. That there might be things politically, socially, culturally, relationally that we do that the world will look at and go, that does not make sense. I reject that idea that is narrow. I was listening to one pastor talk about this and he said that the idea of Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life is narrow. And it sounds mean. But if it's true, it's good. If a medicine is going to save you, that is narrow. But if it's true, it's good. If something is going to save your life, but it's the only thing that's going to save your life, and I tell you that, that is a narrow statement. But if it's true, it's good. And Jesus here says that I'm the one. Jesus is the one who can lead you to life. And it's a narrow statement. The world's going to reject it. So lastly, he gets to verse 8, and he says, it's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And this is where, um, this is the one that that probably made, for the longest time, made the least amount of sense to me. Um, He's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And this is from Isaiah 8, 14. Paul references this in Romans 9, 22. Jesus references it to himself 
I am the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense in Matthew 21, 42. This is, we see it in prophecy, we see it in Paul, we see it in Romans, we see it in Peter. Jesus says it himself. What in the world does it mean that when we fall over something, we're forced to acknowledge its existence? Um, uh, I have two stories about falling. One of them from, was from this week. I was mowing my lawn, and um, we have a concrete patio on the back, and then we have two concrete stairs that are, that are off of it. And I was like kind of in front of the stairs. I had kind of gone around them, and I was, I was pushing the lawnmower, push mower, so I'm pushing the lawnmower, and then I was like, oh, I'm going to back up and get something else. And as I backed up, I, I forgot where I was. My spatial awareness was all gone, and I, I tripped, not even thinking those were in my line of walking, tripped over the stairs, and it was everything from like, I think my feet were above my head at one point. I was concerned about like, I'm gonna hit my head, like all this is going through my head as I'm falling. I'm gonna hit my head on the concrete, my wife's gonna find me bloody and passed out, um, and I'm, I've, I've let go of the mower, it's turned off, and I'm sitting on the porch, and the, you know how the first thing you do after you fall is you have to look around, like see if anybody saw it, see if any neighbors saw it. You see that? You see what just happened? And, uh, it forced me to know and remember that those stairs were there and see the way that I was walking. The, the second story that I have about falling happened, uh, I remember it because it, it, it stood out to me so much. It was March of 2020, and it was the last service we had in here for young adults. If you don't know that uh, we have a young adult service uh, in here every Tuesday uh, in the fall and the spring, and there's 200 to 300 uh, college students, young adults that will meet in this room um, and worship and hear hear God's word, and um, it's an incredible thing to be a part of. In March 2020, um, I wasn't speaking that day, but I was welcoming everybody, and I was coming kind of from where Trevor was, and they they finished the first song, and uh, I remember it like it was yesterday because of how um, traumatizing it was. But um, Holly Lyons is standing right here, and she had just finished leading a song, and I'm where Trevor is, and I'm getting ready to, to run up the stairs. And as I run up the stairs, and I don't know if you've noticed this before, but I know it, this has about a three-quarter inch lip on it um, that will grab your toes if you're not being careful. Um, and as I came up the stairs, I caught, I remember it was my right foot, I caught my right foot, and Holly's standing about right here, and in my mind, as I'm falling, I'm thinking, I'm probably gonna tackle Holly on accident. And people are going to be just like standing there after a song's over, and I run up on the stage and tackle Holly. And they go, hmm, that was weird. So in my moment, I, um, with great athleticism, mind you, converted the fall into a roll and like somersaulted in front of her and uh, dodged her, mind you, um, but dodged her and rolled and popped up. And it was like, I just, so all people saw was me run up on the stage and do a somersault and pop up. And I think it was probably pretty obvious I fell. I don't know, I may have covered it, but now it's obvious, I admit it, I fell. Um, But I fell onto the stage and I had to like acknowledge that it happened. It took me a minute. I had to like gather myself. I had to to like say something about it. Um, I'm just glad I didn't tackle Holly. It was a great, great moment um, for my athletic career, but... um, but the thing about when you, when you stumble and when you fall, it forces you to address the thing that made you fall and assess the way that you walked. What he's arguing here is that Jesus is the mirror that gets held up to our lives to show us, listen, you are sinful, you are broken, you are in need of me. A lot of commentaries point to that it's, it's a judgment. We're going to fall into judgment. We're going to trip into it. There's, there's no way around it. And that conviction that we feel is a stumbling over Jesus is right and I'm not and I'm, I'm stumbling over it. 
When you are dirty and you walk into a clean house, there, there is a stumbling that happens because you go, okay, I'm, I'm not at home here. And when we come in contact with Jesus, it forces us to stumble and address, okay, Jesus is good and I'm not. I'm not right. He is. And I have to assess the way that I was walking. And what Jesus is arguing here is that, or what he's arguing for Jesus here is that Jesus is that stumbling block. And he will either be what we stumble over and stay. You ever heard of people being caught up on somebody else? You see, oh, he's, he's hung up on that girl. He, not caught up in a romantic way, but hung up on Jesus is right and I'm not. And we can either move on and pretend it didn't happen and keep stumbling over different things, or we can build our life on the cornerstone of Christ. And can I tell you that even as believers, we're still going to stumble and go, oh, I'm still so sinful. We, me and my wife were on vacation. We went to a church, and, and there was a Father's Day message. And I listened to a Father's Day message in Ephesians 6 where it says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. And the, the, the message was about how we as fathers can be angry and short and tempered with our children and provoke with our anger, their anger. And I'm sitting there, and it was a stumbling block for me because I, I do that. And I had a choice in that moment to either stay at the stumbling block, and can I tell you, I, I still make that mistake, but I want to live my life as him as the cornerstone and say, Jesus, you are. See, the key to the first section that we read about, when we read about Jesus making us into a spiritual house, Jesus making us into a royal priesthood, the first five words of verse four are what's important. It says, as you come to him, we will fall and we can either stay there or we can come to him. And as we come to him, he builds us up. It's not about our ability. It's not about our ability. Man, Jared can build a nice looking house. No, I can't. It's about Jesus and his perfection, his rightness, his trueness, his goodness. So all we do is as we stumble, we crawl to the cross, we crawl to that cornerstone and say, Jesus, I'm gonna build my life on you. You're the only thing worth living for. I think about Peter who wrote this. Peter walked and talked with Jesus, and, and I love Peter because he was a guy that took some big swings and had some big misses. Like if you know the story of Peter, he put his foot in his mouth all the time, he, was, he, he said some foolish things, he was type A and just was all about it. And Peter did some things that were interesting and, and Jesus told him at one point, like, hey, at the most important time, you are going to deny that you even know me. Not even just that you're a friend with me, not that you've been following me. You're going to deny that you know me three times. Peter's like, Jesus, get out of here. No, I'm not. There's no way. And in between that time and when he actually did it, some guys come to get Jesus and Peter says, not on my watch. And he pulls out a knife and cuts off a dude's ear, which probably means he was reaching for something else. So he wasn't even good with a knife, but he took a big swing and tried. And I think about this, this interaction that Jesus had with Peter in Matthew 16 during Jesus' ministry. In Matthew 16, it says, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea at Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Who are the people saying that I am? And they said to him, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And this is the Sunday school Jesus answer. How are you, what are you building your life on? I mean, some say it's this, some say it's that. Who do you say? I, it's good thing. I don't know. It's Jesus. I don't know. And Jesus asked such a pointed question and he says to them, but who do you say that I am? 
The building of your life will come down to that question. Who do you say that I am? Not who do your parents say that I am? Not do the people that are sitting around you? Not your roommates, not your friends? Who do you say that Jesus is? And Simon Peter replied, because he takes big swings. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He answered him and said, you are the fulfillment of the prophecy of old. You are the Messiah. You are God himself. He didn't answer like the rest of them and just say, you're, you're a good teacher. Jesus here is saying, I am either something you stumble over or I am your cornerstone. There's not a space in between. We are not going to show the world the love of God by saying, yeah, Jesus is my cornerstone and then going and building a life that looks nothing like a life built on a cornerstone from far away. We're not going to do it. The world is not going to want that. But Peter sits down and he says, Jesus, you are my everything. You are God, you are the Messiah, you are the fulfillment, you are my Lord. And look at Jesus' response to him. He says, Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven he looked at Peter and said Peter you're one of the living stones you're one of the people that I can build my church off of because of your answer to this question so my question this morning is what's your life built on who do you say that Jesus is He's either the stumbling block that we get stuck on and move away from and we'll, we'll be brought back to it. Or he's the cornerstone that we build our life off of. Everything. And honor him. Will you bow your heads? That's the question today. Believer, are there corners of your life? Are there corners of your relationship with God that maybe you say, okay, the cornerstone's over here. I'm gonna go build some of my life over here. What if today you just said, God, I'm tired of doing that. I'm not doing that anymore. And honestly, I think one of the biggest things you can do, it talks about in James 5, 17, if we confess our sins to one another, we'll have healing. The prayers of a righteous man do much good. For so long, we've been building that corner of the house in privacy, isolation, and secrecy. And what if we brought that to the light of the people around us that love God and love us? And we started to build brick by brick what God wanted to build in our lives. To see what Jesus told Peter, God has a plan for all of us. God has a plan for what he wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. I think we miss it because we're afraid to say, Jesus, you're my everything. I want to build everything off of you. And if you're here and you'd say, listen, I've stumbled over Jesus, but I've not built anything on him. Romans says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross. Confessing him as Lord means that he's the one in charge. He's the one who gets to make decisions. He's the one that you're gonna wake up in the morning and say, you're the most important. If we confess him as Lord, we'll be saved. And I, it is that simple. That if you're here, what does that confession look like? That looks like telling the person next to you, hey, I wanna make Jesus everything. That looks like grabbing a connection card and saying, I wanna make Jesus my everything. 
coming down front, talking to somebody at Next Steps. But we're going to pray, we're going to sing, and uh, we'll let God move.